Hey, good morning, Merry Christmas. I'm Matt, if you haven't met me before. Last week, Megan Jackson and I went uh, into the wild out back of Cold Creek Road looking for our uh, perfect Christmas tree. And as we drove over a bridge, I spotted it. It was a lone balsam fir tree. Its branches set perfectly in whirls up the stem. It was bushy, but not too bushy. Wide, but not too wide. And a ray of light pierced through the clouds and rested on its snow-covered branches and confirmed to me that this, this was the one. That was from 100 meters away. When I actually walked up to it, then I saw it was like every other Christmas tree I ever cut down. Good from far, far from good. All weird and misshapen like a newborn baby. <laughs> but we didn't have time to chase down any more unicorns, so we cut it down and we took it home. And we set up the tree in our house. Jackson and Megan decorated it all beautifully. But then Jackson got bored, and uh, as he likes to do, he started doing headstands on the couch. Uh, but, but he teetered too far, his legs were high, and he somersaulted off the couch and into the Christmas tree and bashed his head against a prickly stem, gashed a, a three-inch gash on the side of his head, so there we were, an emergency for the second time in a week with a forehead wound. Magic carpet ride a week before that didn't go very well and got five stitches, so Jackson's beginning to look like a four-year-old war veteran. <laughs> So I, we got home and I wanted to calm down, so I put on uh, the Vienna Boys Choir, these calm, cool, collected, disciplined German boys, singing, Oh Tenenbaum, Oh Tenenbaum, Oh Christmas Tree, Oh Christmas Tree. And nobody, you gotta, if you haven't listened to those boys sing, you got to put it on YouTube, because nobody sings that song like them. And some of the English uh, lines go like this, O Christmas tree, O Christmas tree, forever true your color. Your boughs so green in summertime stay bravely green in wintertime. O Christmas tree, O Christmas tree, forever true your color. And as I sat staring at our Christmas tree while I was listening to the Vienna boys sing, the tears started to flow down my cheeks. It was really cheesy and it wasn't very manly at all and I had to keep looking at the window so my wife didn't see that I was crying to old Christmas tree. But as I listened to the words of that song and, and, and I saw and I stared at the evergreen tree in my living room, I saw, I saw in that tree a picture of the character of our Savior. And the, the words of that song may as well be sung to him. Forever true your color. Through the summers and winters of human existence, Jesus' colors are true forever. And this is how the uh, writer of the book of Hebrews puts it. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I can't help but wonder if when God made the evergreen tree and covered the slopes of the mountains with it, that he had hoped that it would be a picture for us of his ever-true, unchanging character. If Jesus was not unchanging, then we would have no rest. So if Jesus was different today than he was yesterday, we would have no peace. If Jesus was different tomorrow than he is today, then we would have no hope. Our rest 
as Christians, as Jesus followers, in Jesus comes to us because He is unchanging. What do I mean by that? Well, let's think back to who Jesus was yesterday, you know, in the past, when He first came. He has a very human history. And I'm sure you're acquainted with it. I'll recount it for you. On the first Christmas, Jesus was born in a manger, uh, in a stable beside an inn that had no vacancy. He was born to two Jewish parents, Mary and Joseph. And when he came out of his mother's womb, he came out as all children do, no doubt, crying with a cord still attached to him from his mother. So Jesus wasn't born an idea. He wasn't born a religion. He wasn't born a belief. Jesus was born a male child, flesh and blood. He nursed from his mother as all babies do. She cleaned him. She cooed him. She cuddled him. He watched his mom and his dad as he grew older and he learned to speak the Jewish language. He learned how to walk and how to talk. He hung out with the other boys in his neighborhood and he learned how to ride a bike. They didn't have bikes, so he learned how to ride a camel. He learned how to, how to read and write. He became familiar with the Jewish scriptures. He worked in his home to help his dad. His dad was a carpenter, and Jesus would have learned how to be a carpenter himself so he could help support the family and the family business. But when he was 30 years old, he left all that behind. He got baptized, and he invited 12 men to follow him around the countryside. And he began preaching and teaching about God, healing the sick, and showing grace in the name of God in a way that no one had ever done before. And the flesh and blood history of Jesus' life was recorded by his followers. They recorded his words. They recorded what he did. And they wrote them down and they've been compiled into the four histories that we now have in the New Testament called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John, one of Jesus' followers who wrote one of these histories, said this about Jesus. He said, the Word, we read this already, and this is John's name for Jesus, the Son of God. He calls Him the Word. The Word became human. He became flesh. And He made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So the, the, the ridiculous, crazy, unbelievably good news about Christmas is that God became a human being. He became a man. John also wrote this about Jesus, the Son of God, becoming a man. He said, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He, Jesus, has revealed God to us. And today we're used to hearing this claim, you know, that Jesus, the man, is the Son of God. But when you think about it, it is quite crazy. It sounds insane that God would become a human being. And that's actually what got Jesus killed, was claiming to be something other than a man. They called him insane. They said he was mentally ill. He was a blasphemer. They said he was possessed by demons for making this claim. That's why they killed him. No one... Not even Jesus' closest followers believed that He was God in the flesh until He was crucified and then He rose from the dead. When Jesus' 
followers saw him risen from the dead, alive, with the same body that he had before he was killed, looking the same way, wearing clothes, eating food with them, that's when they became convinced that Jesus was not just a prophet, not just a good teacher, not just a human being, but the Son of God in the flesh, risen from the dead. And after that, they hung out with Jesus for a bit. You know, he walked around. He was with them for a while. And then they saw him ascend to heaven, still as a human being, with the same body. So that was yesterday. That's Jesus' human history here that's been recorded for us in the Bible. Yesterday, Jesus was born a man. He lived the life of a man. He died. There's nothing more human than that, dying. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father as a man. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday as He is today. He is still a man. A living, breathing, flesh and blood human being. Still with His Father and our Father waiting to return. Thank God that Jesus is not an idea. He is not a religion. He is not a set of beliefs. He is a living, air-breathing, food-eating, heart-pumping human being still. So this Christmas is the same as last Christmas, as yesterday's Christmas, as will be the same for all Christmases to come, as far as Jesus is concerned. So we can be confident and hopeful, just as confident, just as hopeful, and just as restful in Jesus as Jesus' first followers. And they were very confident and very hopeful in Him when they saw Him alive, risen from the dead. So Jesus is unchanging, and faith in Him is unchanging. And this is good news because the beliefs and the convictions of human beings over the years, over the millennia, are, are, are less like an evergreen tree and more like a trembling aspen. You know, the beliefs of humanity sprout up all the time, and, and they shake in the wind, and then they turn brown and they fall off and die into history. We used to believe that the earth was the center of the universe. We used to believe that draining your blood when you were sick was a good way to make you well. We used to believe that world wars were a good way to sort out national conflicts. We used to believe that snowboarding would never catch on and that blockbuster video was forever. So our beliefs, our human beliefs and convictions are constantly changing and shifting over time, including our human beliefs about God. You know, as we've tried to reach out and understand God ourselves, our beliefs have been really changing and shifting over history. Yesterday, we used to believe that there were hundreds of gods. That's what most people used to believe. Gods of the stars, gods of the sea, god of the underworld. We used to think that God was tribal, that he was just behind a certain set of people. Yesterday we believed that he was for war, just as, he must, as much as he was for love or he was for peace. Today, the ideas about God are still ever-changing, ever-shifting. God is someone. He is no one. He is the universe. He is you. We are all God. The do-it-yourself God of our culture is everything and nothing at the same time. 
And unfortunately, this means that he cannot be known. He shows no real power. He gives no real guarantees. And therefore, he gives no rest to anyone. But in Jesus, God has made himself known definitively, concretely, once and for all. Full of power and giving eternal guarantees to all those who would receive them. John says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. That's the difference between religion and Jesus. Is in Jesus, God has come to us. But in the rest of religion, we are reaching out for God. So, in our church, we're not on a journey to find the most practical and helpful theology. We're not choosing a set of beliefs to live by so that we can be known as Baptists or conservatives or evangelicals or even as liberals. We're not changing our opinions of God to fit in with anyone else around us. We are knowing and believing in and trusting in the living Jesus Christ. The same Christ who came the first Christmas. The same Christ whose life and words and teachings are written down for us. In the Bible, the same Christ who rose from the dead. The same Christ who watches over us and is speaking to us right now. The same Christ who will return and will come back for us so that we can be with Him forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So in the revelation of Jesus Christ, God has made himself known forever. And we can rest forever in Jesus, confident of who God is. What does it mean for us to rest in Jesus? So I want to unpack three ways that the unchanging Jesus gives you and I Rest. First, He gives us rest in an eternal lifestyle. Second, He gives us rest in the ups and downs of our experience with God. And He gives us rest in the ups and downs of our own performance. So first of all, in a world with ever-changing convictions, Jesus gives us rest in an eternal God-revealed lifestyle. So in Jesus, God has revealed fully not only who He is, the Father, but also who we are, God's Children, his adopted children through Jesus. And in Jesus' words and life, God has fully revealed the values, the convictions, and the lifestyle that he wants for his children, what he has designed them for, definitively, forever. So in the human being, Jesus, we can know exactly how God designed us and expects us to live for our own flourishing. Jesus put flesh and blood on a lifestyle. So he talked about it. He talked about how God wants us to live, how he wants us to treat people, how he wants to use every part of our humanity. He taught about it. It's recorded. It's all, he also put, put flesh and blood on it. So he modeled it. He lived it. So we have a full picture of how exactly God designed us to live. What that all means is that the perfect values and morals and lifestyle that Jesus lived in 30 AD is still the same perfect values and morals and lifestyle that God expects us to live in 2020. 
So we don't change our, ma- our, our values and our morals and our lifestyle to fit in with anybody except for Jesus. His colors are true. His life is true forever for all of humanity as a model and an example of how God made us. When Jesus calls himself the way, what he meant is that he is the way for us to live. The way that God designed for us to live. The values and the morals and the convictions of human culture are ever-changing, ever-shifting. A hundred years ago, in our country, women were second-class citizens. They didn't get the vote. That was somehow okay for quite some time. Only 150 years ago, in the States, slavery was acceptable. That was all right to have some slaves around your house. Then the abolitionists came along and said, this is not okay. God did not design us you know, to enslave other people or to be enslaved by them. 60 years ago, racial segregation was all right. It was totally acceptable to have bathrooms for black people and black bathrooms for white people and buses for, for black people and buses for white people. 75 years ago in our country, the government forcibly removed Native Canadians from their homes, took their kids and put them in boarding schools and somehow that was alright. Unfortunately, a lot of the churches took their cues from the wider culture instead of from Jesus and went along with it. What the wider society considers right and wrong is always changing, always shifting. And it will never conform to the eternal standard that we now have revealed to us in Jesus. So don't take your cues on your values, on your morals, on your beliefs, on your lifestyle from the culture. Take it from Jesus. You will flourish following Him. Jesus' values, morals, and lifestyle are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus' definition of who your neighbor is, not just the person who lives beside you, but pretty much everybody, is the same. And how you should treat them, according to Him, it's the same today. Jesus' description of how God designed your sexuality to be used and not used is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus' definition of how we are to be committed to other believers and do life with them and live loving relationships with them is the same. Jesus' call to be radically open, open-handed with your stuff and your money is the same yesterday and today and forever. We will be laughed at We will be considered fools if we cleave to Jesus and his lifestyle. We will always be out of sync with the values and the morals and the lifestyle of our culture. But that is to be celebrated because it's evidence that we really are forever true to the one who is forever true to us. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So what he meant by that is that The kingdoms of this world are always descending in the way that they live and what they hold is right and wrong. They are always descending into rot. And it is up to us to preserve and live out the eternal lifestyle that is good for every human being so that we're preserving the culture around us. And many Christians have done that and helped society to move in the direction of how God designed them. So it's our job. We must preserve the life that God designed humanity for and revealed in Jesus. We can rest in an eternal lifestyle. Second, an unchanging Christ gives us rest in the ups and downs of our experience of God. Usually when we're talking about 
you know, trying to convince people to become Christians because we know that that's the best possible thing for them. We sell it like, you know, a God wants to be in an intimate relationship with you and your life can radically change from having no relationship with God to having a perpetually intimate relationship with God. And that is true. However, the experience of relationship with God, I'm sure as you know, if you've walked for any time with Him, is a lot like the experience of other relationships. Sometimes God feels really close. Sometimes He feels distant. Sometimes it feels intimate. Sometimes it feels like He's nowhere to be found. And when he seems nowhere to be found, maybe you are the type of person that wants to, that gets frantic and wants to run to an experience of God that maybe somebody else can give you. It's like, well, I was watching on TV and there's this guru and he's got these conferences and man, clearly, he, you know, he's got Jesus locked down for an experience. So I'm going to go and I'm going to be close to that person so that I can reignite my experience of God. Or, you know, maybe this church isn't doing it and we, we don't got the cool experiences, but the other church, they got it going on, so I'm going to move over there and re-experience Jesus there. Or maybe when God feels distance, you're more like me. You get discouraged. Maybe you get apathetic. It's like, man, I used to feel this whole thing. It felt like God was close and He was loving on me and I felt His presence and now I don't really feel it at all. So I'm wondering, is this even true? We must always remember that Jesus came to us. That's the good message, the good news about Christmas is that God came down to us despite our failures to find Him. Before the Son of God became a human being, no one was asking God to become a human being. So we don't have like prayers uh, written down or recorded where we can see somebody was saying like, oh God, please provide you know, food for my family and oh, by the way, if you could become a human being so I could know you, that'd be great. We don't have any prayers like that in history. God in a bod was 100% God's idea. It was 100% initiated by Him. And today it is the same. Jesus is the one who is still coming to us. He initiates our relationship. He initiates our experience with Him. So He still breaks into our lives. He still softens our hearts despite ourselves. He leads the way. Always. So Jesus is not a religious experience. He is not a church service. He is not your devotions in the morning. He is not your attention span. He is a person, a living person today who is in control of your journey, your whole journey, every bit of your life, including your experience of Him. So He says to His followers, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. If you put your hope in Jesus, Jesus lives in you. And He promises that He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. When you experience His presence, He's with you. When you don't experience His presence, He's still with you. If He's chosen to make His presence felt, it's because He's decided that you need it. You need to feel His presence. If He's chosen not to make His presence felt, it's because He's also decided that's what you need. Much like He needed when the Holy Spirit sent Him into the wilderness to experience the absence of God. So the color of Jesus' love for you is forever true in the summers, in the winters of your experience of God. 
In the summers of your walk with Him, He loves you deeply. In the winters of your walk with Him, He loves you deeply. And He will warm the winter again. He will bring on the spring of His presence again. We can trust Him for, for that. That's His work. He initiates. Our job is to be faithful. Just keep walking with Jesus. Keep living the life He calls you to. Keep seeking Him. And He will come and bring His presence back to you again. An unchanging Christ gives us rest in an eternal lifestyle. He gives us rest in the ups and downs of our experience with God. And last, He gives us rest in the ups and downs of our own performance. So in all the other major religions, including the secular religions of the world, God's acceptance of you is forever changing depending on your performance. So if you do what God asks, God accepts you and loves you and blesses you. If you don't do what He asks, then He punishes you and He withdraws from you. And so your security and peace are always changing. This is the same even in our secular Canadian religion. If you please the career God, which many people worship, and you sacrifice your family and your time to Him, then just maybe you'll be rewarded with the admiration of your peers at some point. Won't that be great? If you don't, if you fail, then you will be rejected and your self-esteem will crumble. If you serve the, the God of a perfect bob, body by going to the gym consistently and working out and refraining and fasting on your diet plan, uh, then you will be rewarded maybe with health and tight abs and everybody looking at you. But if not, if you don't go to the gym enough and you fall off the wagon on your diet plan, then you'll get what I have, back fat. <laughs> Nobody wants that. That's punishment. If you dedicate yourself to the recreational experience, God, and you free yourself from all commitments so that you can capitalize on the best power and the best uh, powder and best fishing, uh, then, then maybe you'll be rewarded with awesome, sublime experiences of recreation. But if you get bogged down in commitments to people and family, then that'll be ruined and you'll just be punished by looking at other people's amazing experiences on Facebook. If we fail any other God than Jesus, we will know rejection and abject humiliation. Our security and peace will forever be changing based on our own performance. We can never live holy enough to earn the acceptance of a holy God, however you define holiness. But in Jesus, God's acceptance of us is unchanging. So the climax of Jesus' life was not actually Christmas. The climax of His life, as the biblical writers wrote, where they spent most of their time, was on the last two days of Jesus' life, right when he was about to die. And they describe it intimately in detail. And the reason for that is that that was when he earned our acceptance forever before a holy God. He died to pay for all your sins. He died to void all your own righteousness and to instead cover you with his own. So that you could know beyond a shadow of doubt when you were performing well or you're performing horribly, you are always accepted before God through faith in Jesus. So Jesus died on a cross so that today, when you fail, when you sin, when you are greedy, when you hurt others, when you do not forgive, when you do not give, when you are lazy, you can still rest 
accepted by God simply through repenting and believing in Jesus. And Jesus died so that you could also know that when you do perform, when you love people like Jesus did, when you forgive like He forgave, when you give like He gave, and you witness like Jesus witnessed, you are accepted by God just the same, loved just the same because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. God's love for you is ever green because on that other trait at the end of Jesus' life, He died for you. Jesus Christ and His work are the same yesterday and today and forever. If your life is like mine, then your experience is always changing. Sometimes you are happy, sometimes you are depressed. Sometimes you feel loved, sometimes you feel lonely. Sometimes you feel successful, successful, sometimes you feel like you're a complete failure. Sometimes you're certain, sometimes you're doubtful. Sometimes you're passionate, sometimes apathetic. But in our ever-changing experience, we have an anchor in a constant, unchanging, living Savior. So this Christmas, may the evergreen tree in your house remind you of our ever-living, ever-loving, unchanging King, Jesus Christ. Alright, let's pray. Now Lord, we, uh, we cast ourselves off of the boat where we're trying to find security in ourselves. And, and in what we can accomplish and we cast ourselves into, into your boat and we, we want to find uh, security and peace and hope simply in, in you, in our living Lord and in all that you've done for us. Anchor us Lord there. Amen.